Uh, what an encouraging time of worship, and uh, man, it's just so good to be together and to be in this place. Uh, it's great to see all of you make it on time to church today. That was great. That was awesome. We should give you an extra hour every week, right? That'd be wonderful. Yeah, coming off of our 25 hours of prayer, man, we just are overachievers at Meadow Park Church. That is fantastic. I asked Noah this morning, Noah who played electric here, uh, said, hey, wasn't it great to get an extra hour of sleep before coming in for uh, you know worship uh, sound check this morning? He said, yeah, it's great, except I signed up for the 3 a.m. hour. So uh, <laughs> Noah, thank you. And all, all who prayed for the last 24 hours and are still praying right now, it is fantastic because we are pouring our hearts out for God praying for this church, uh, praying for what God wants to do in here, in the community, and God is doing a new thing. A great thing is happening. And so today, I want to continue in the series, and today we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about hope, because I know that's one thing we all need is hope. Let's do this, or let's say our verse together. Should we, I don't know, should we have it up on the screen? Do you guys know by now? Should I do a little test? You guys, can you do it? All right, don't, let's not put it up. Let's not put it up. We'll, we'll see. This is a test. Come on. I mean, I've always been giving you the little cheat sheet on the screen. It's time to do it together. Do you guys remember what, what, do you remember what book it's from? Isaiah, chapter 43, now verses 18 and 19. Yeah, right? All right, good job. All right. So how does it begin? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Oh, okay, that was, a little, that was a little weak. Let's try it again. That was a little the on-ramp. Okay, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Wow, that was impromptu. I don't know. Those are my motions. Okay. <laughs> trying to give you a little bit, of, little bit of help there. Now let's put it on the screen so we can all just get it into our head and remember, this is such a powerful verse. There is so much hope. There is so much new life that just emanates from this verse, and we want to hold on to that. And we've been taking uh, different parts of this verse every week as we're teaching on this to really dive in a little bit deeper. But as I said, and as we've been talking about, we're in this 24 hours of prayer because this Sunday through next Sunday is our commitment week. What are we committing to? We're talking about this renew initiative for our church. We've been talking about renewing our hearts, that God would bring a new life and passion and fervor for serving God and being in relationship with him, that we would be alive spiritually, renewing our hearts, that we would be renewed in our passion to reach the lost, that we remember what this mission is about, to have others experience the hope and the promise and the blessing that comes from following God, and to renew our church inside and out. And we've been praying about that and praying that what, we, what would we do and what part would God have us do in this? And as we talk about the Renew um, initiative for our church, if you're new or new or just joining us online, just a, a quick overview of this initiative is for the next three years, we want to renew significant parts of the 72,000 square foot building that sits on 11 acres. And we've got some things that we want to do to freshen up the place and to, to really shine out what God wants to do, uh, to reflect what God is doing in here out to the community. We want to renew this worship center, our lobby, and our, and, and our cafe, and the bathrooms, and hallways, and classrooms, and, and, and different places, and our park kids area, and our student ministry, as well as our children's center that serves uh, families throughout the week. That's inside the building. Outside, we've got the parking lot and, and the exterior of the building. So lots of things we need to do, totaling $870,000 over the next three years. And that includes $5,000 during each of the six phases to bring renewal to some other organization or group that we partner with or opportunities that we hear about. And so we get to really use and re our resources to bring renewal in such a, uh, an awesome way. And last week I talked about renewing our commitment and this question, do you not perceive it, that's in that verse. 
in Isaiah. Do you not perceive it? And what we talked about is, if God is saying, do you not perceive it? Yes, we do. And yes, we want to be a part of it. We want to make our commitment. We want this to be something we are doing together as a church. And it was so exciting that I got to share with you last week that our leaders stepped forward, those that are serving currently on the council, our staff, and former uh, church council leaders in our church, about 24, 25 families, and have already pre-committed to let you know as a church that we are on board and behind this, have committed $365,000 over the next three years to this initiative before we even get to Celebration Sunday. Oh, I think we need to see a larger round of applause for that. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So listen, that's already getting us 42% of the way there. And so over these next two weeks, as you think about your commitment, we have these, um, these, these brochures inside. There's a little, in the little flap here, that's where we put our commitments in. Let us know what you plan to do on, uh, for our first fruits offering on Celebration Sunday. Then how you plan to give over the next three years. And if there's any other way in which you want to contribute, total that together. Let us know between this Sunday and next Sunday so that we can share that on November 20th and let you know how far we've come and if we can reach these goals that we have here to do that together as a church. Now, I have another piece of good news that just came this week uh, to me. And it's somebody that's not a part of our church. They, they live in another part of the country. I uh, shared with them what we were doing here at the church and um, asked them if they would be willing to, to help in some way. And they said, we believe in what you're doing. We're excited about that. And we want to challenge Meadow Park Church back. So they're not even part of our church. And they want to challenge you back. They said they're going to give a $30,000 matching gift for any gifts that are given to the Renew Initiative by Meadow Park Church. So... If you've been wondering, will my giving have any difference? Can, can what I do make an impact? It will be doubled for the first $30,000 that are committed by, from this church. And if you guys can do that and step up in this way, maybe this is the first time you're stepping out and saying, all right, I'm going to do something. Or maybe you think, I don't know if this is enough. Give it and watch it double. Faithful people, passionate people for what we're doing are saying, hey, we want to help make that happen, not only within our church, but even outside of our church. And I think that was just such a huge encouragement to me. And so let's give another round of applause for that. Um, it's always awesome to see how God moves and who God stirs, and I pray that he's stirring and moving inside each of us over these next, uh, this next week as we bring our commitments and finalize what that will look like. Well, today, like I said, I want to talk about renewing our hope and looking at that last verse, that last phrase of the verse we've been looking at. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When I hear that, I think of hope. But let me ask you, how hopeful are you feeling these days? How hopeful are you feeling these days? If you listen to the news, if you're on social media, if you're having conversations around the water cooler or with neighbors, how hopeful is that conversation these days? What's on your mind? What are you processing? What are you thinking? Oh, wait, there's this little thing coming up in a couple days called the midterm elections. When you listen to those ads, don't you feel hopeful for our nation? We obviously have only one choice. One choice that will make the future glorious and one choice that will lead us into the pit of hell. <laughs> and each party will have you believe that is your only choice. <laughs> How hopeful are you? How hopeful are you when inflation is what it is, when it's hard to pay at the gas station and, you know, groceries are going up and maybe your investments aren't returning as they are? 
Maybe you're trying to buy a house and you're going, oh man, I missed the window to get into the market and mortgage rates are what they are. How hopeful are you? How hopeful are you for our country? How hopeful are you for our world when you see wars and you, you think, man, are we living like in the age that we're living in we're still bombing each other to smithereens? Like what's going on? How hopeful are you? Maybe in your own life you're hopeful. Maybe as you look at your own life you're going, hey, there's some really good things happening. I'm excited. I got a new job. Or maybe you're in a new relationship. Or maybe, you know, an opportunity opened its doors for you. Or things are just moving well on your plan, on your progress, your goals. And you're saying, no, things are good. As some of you have been sharing with me, even through this Renew initiative, you're feeling the renewal that God is bringing. And there's hope that's beginning to, to sprout out. And that's a great thing. But I also know that if we're human, we have times of wilderness, times of wasteland, times of difficulty where hope seems to be a little bit harder to hold on to. Where we're looking at forward and we're looking at our situation and going, man, this sure doesn't feel hopeful. It feels more hopeless than anything. Hopelessness often comes with loss. When we experience loss, right, that's the unexpected that comes. Maybe you've experienced a death, someone close to you, someone in your family. Maybe you've lost a job, and all of a sudden you're experiencing that loss. You've lost some finances. You've lost an opportunity that came your way. Maybe you're losing some health or some mobility or something. And it's interesting how hopelessness can set in. Sometimes hopelessness comes from feeling like you've been victimized, like somebody's wronged you. It wasn't even your own fault. Like somebody did something to you, and now you're paying the consequences of that. Or they keep hurting you, or there's discrimination, or there's prejudice, and, and you feel like you're victimized to that, and you go, how do I get out of this? And it feels hopeless. There's nothing you can do. It's a, it's a loss of control. Sometimes hopelessness comes from being burned out. Anyone ever been there? Burned out. You've just been going so hard, you've been motoring along, you keep trying and keep trying, and the, and, and the harder you work, the less returns you're getting, the less things go better, and you're just going, is this worth it? What am I doing? I've been there, I understand what that's like, what that feels like, and, and hopelessness can set in, and you wonder, what is this all about? The fact is, we all need hope, because we cannot live without it. But we have to have a different kind of hope. In our world, oftentimes when we talk about hope, or the world talks about hope, or people that don't have faith, it's like there's certainty, and then there's hope. And it's like, man, I kind of hope something will happen. It's just like, man, I don't know, it's kind of out there, who knows, it's, it's not really pretty, you know, you can't really bank on it. But Christian hope is different. There's a, there's a confident hope, a hope that we can bank on. I love this verse in Romans 12, 2, 12, 12. It says, rejoice in our, what? Confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. We talk about hope. Can you have a confident hope? A confident hope is one where I believe this is going to happen. I know God is working. I know this is going to turn in a way that God will work something out. He is present. There's a confident hope. Now, it doesn't say we don't have trouble, right? Because it says, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. It's the kind of hope that has a resolve that keeps on going. So today, I want to talk about how do we renew this hope? Where does it come from? How can we grow in that? And what do you do if you're wandering, if you're in the wilderness, if you're in the wasteland, if you're in that desert space? How do you experience and find the hope that God has for you? So let's just close our eyes, let's pray, and just ask God to, to speak to us as he, because he knows your situation. Heavenly Father, today as we talk about hope, you making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, Lord, we bring our lives to you. We bring those places in our lives where maybe right now we just can't see the future. We can't see how you're moving or working, or we just wonder, are we stuck where we're at, or... Maybe we don't see a way out. 
Maybe we've just experienced great loss. Lord, today I pray that your hope would shine bright into the darkness. We ask for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. So you look at this key verse that we've been looking at, and you see that phrase, making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. But one thing that I've discovered is when you're in the wasteland and when you're in the wilderness, it's sometimes hard to see and feel like God is doing a new thing. Is that, have you ever guys been there? I mean, when you're really in the thick of it, when you're really going through it, sometimes you go, God, what's happening to me? God, what's going on? How, how do I handle this? What do I, what do I do with this? And so we struggle and we, and we work our way through and go, God, how can you be more present? God, what are you doing in my life? As I look at this verse, and um, we've been looking at this verse for a lot of weeks, but we haven't really looked at the context. Context is always important. You know, it's, it's nice to, you know, to kind of grab a scripture and to focus on it, but it takes on another sense of meaning, too, when you understand what's going on around that verse. And this verse is found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a book of, with 66 chapters. Isaiah was a prophet. The prophets spoke to the people on behalf of God. They were like God's messengers, and they often spoke hard truths to the people. And Isaiah was one of those messengers. And Isaiah was the one who was sharing this message um, from God to the people. And, and when this verse is written, when we read this verse in chapter 43... It's written to the people of God, the Israelites, the Hebrew nation, when they were in exile. So they were taken captive first by Assyria and then the Babylonians, these big empires, and they captured the people and they took them off into exile. So the people were not living in their homeland. And you think about to their history, to their past, God had brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He gave them this promised land, and now they were in exile. And so you think about the situation that they were in. They were living in that wasteland. They were living in that wilderness. They weren't home. And they were feeling all the things that you would feel if you were taken into captivity under someone else's rule, people that did not follow your, your faith and didn't allow you in ways to do that. And so that's the situation they were in. But before that, in verses uh, like 1 through 39, the beginning part, before the exile, Isaiah began to speak to them talking about the, the challenges and the troubles that they were in because of the way that they were living. They had abandoned God. They started following their own ways. They started doing their own thing. And all of a sudden, uh, there was this distance from God. And Isaiah, he speaks this, this, this prophecy and shares with them that you are going to be like a chopped down vine. You're going to be left as a smoldering stump. So Israel was often referred to as the vine that was growing out, that was this blessing with, of God. And he says, you're going to be chopped down and left smoldering like a stump. Now, I've, I've gotten to do some chainsaw work over this past month. I got to help my parents down in, um, in, in Florida after Hurricane uh, Ian came through and was working the chainsaw, and you cut them down, but then there's this stump in the ground, right? And then I got to cut some trees out of our, we got a green belt behind our house. It was a dead tree, and so I, my new chainsaw, I thought, I'm going to put it some good use back there, cut it down, and then you just see this stump, and what, what's left with a stump is nothing. It's dead, there's nothing going to grow from it. It feels like it's just there, takes up space, and eventually you have to figure out, how do you get this thing out? It seems like it's kind of useless. And that's what this prophecy came, was you're going to be like a chopped down, smoldering stump. Their disobedience led them into this wilderness to be conquered and to be led away. And now they're in exile. And now they're living in this place, and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're struggling with God. They feel like God has abandoned them. They've got doubts. They've got accusations. Ever been there? God, Why? Why am I in this place? Why is this happening to me? Are you really there, God? God, I know exactly how you can get me out of this. Remember how I talked about last week, right? We always have a plan for how God can solve all of our problems. We wonder, why doesn't he do that? So they're stuck in this wilderness space. I've been in the wilderness. Quite literally, I've been in the wilderness. I used to live in the desert. (laughs) 
We're from Arizona before coming here. Lived there for 12 years. Lived in uh, an area called Santan Valley in Florence and then the last couple years in Scottsdale. And it was living in the desert. If you've been to Phoenix, you know what it's like. It's bone dry, low humidity. And, uh, and, and when I, the last place we lived in Arizona and Scottsdale, this was my view out our backyard here. You guys can, yeah, that's what I had to wake up to every, every morning and go to bed at night. Um, yeah, I know that it's hard living in the desert sometimes. It's really tough. But I'd have tra- access to these trails just right out the house. And so in the mornings or in the evenings, it was nice just to go right on the trails. Here's a picture of like what, you know, what the view was just when I'd be out on a trail in the morning. And you just go out there, and there's something about being in that wilderness. There's something about going out in that place. And, of course, when you're ready and prepared, it's great. But this is a really dangerous place. And so many people that go to Arizona, that go as tourists and vacation, they go hike, they want to go to the mountains and have to be rescued Every day we hear about it. Always rescues. What happens? Not enough water, right? It's a dry place. It's a barren place. Cactus everywhere. If you ever get cactus into your calf or something into your foot, that is not a fun thing to try to to dig out, right? There's scorpions. Love scorpions, right? There's black widow spiders. There's Gila monsters. That's for real. If you ever heard of a Gila monster, it's it's like a lizard. There are javelinas. There are wild pigs with tusks. There's cougars. There's mountain lions, right? And, of course, you've all heard of the rattlesnakes. All these things are out there, right? It's a dangerous place. It's the wilderness. It's dry, and if you're not prepared, if you're not ready, dangerous things can happen in that place. It's a harsh environment. When we hear wilderness, and when the people of God read this, and when they heard about wilderness, it, was, it conjured up their environment. If you've been to the Middle East, and a lot of these places, some places aren't too dissimilar from, from Arizona. There are a lot of desert places, a lot of barren places. When you get away from the rivers and the fertile uh, water basins, this takes place. And in the Bible, the word wilderness or wasteland or desert is used over 300 times. So many times there were these, these, this was referred to as this no man's land. These desolate places, these hard and, and difficult places where it was desolate Barren, lonely, remote, wild, vulnerable, dry, dangerous. I, I, use, I have a good, I have a good uh, what do you call those? Not thesaurus, yeah. yeah. What's another word for thesaurus? Is there really? Is that another word for thesaurus? Oh, that's good. I just, I thought I was being funny. There really is another one. I didn't know that. Um, but when, when that word wilderness came up in the scriptures, when the word wilderness was spoken by prophets, the people instantly heard that in a, in a very clear way because so much of their story was defined by wilderness. The people wandering in the wilderness for 40 years when they left Egypt, when God freed them out of Egypt before entering the promised land. A long period of wilderness. Elijah, a prophet, was in the wilderness. David spent time in the wilderness. And of course, we know the story of Jesus in the wilderness. If we know it's Jesus, not everyone knows that story, but if you know the story, Jesus spent time in the wilderness. The Spirit led him into the wilderness, and it was a time and a season of preparation. That wilderness time had a, had a significant meaning to the people. Because what happens in that wilderness is, is, is a time where we're forged, a time where we're shaped. Now, in Arizona, I got caught out in the wilderness by surprise one time. It wasn't the actual wilderness. It was a figurative wilderness. When all of a sudden, our life plan came crashing down. When all of a sudden, what we thought was our future, what we thought was there, ended abruptly. The church that we loved, the people that we loved, the future that we thought were there, ended harshly and abruptly. And it was a very difficult time, and it was like instantly we were in the wilderness. 
Instantly, we were, we were in a place going, okay, God, what are you doing? This was not the plan. This is not what we had envisioned. How can this even be? This doesn't even make sense. We're trying to be faithful. God, Lord, what's going on? And it's a difficult, difficult place to be, and we were months and months in that wilderness. I guess both literally and figuratively. And so many of those walks, many of those hikes, many of those mornings spent in the wilderness was asking God, why? Why? How could it be? Shaking my head. What's the plan? Where do we go from here? God, rebuild a vision. Rebuild a, a dream for us. What, what do you have for us? And, and, and if you've been in those places, that is a difficult, difficult time to not be able to see the future and to wonder where you're at. But here's a lesson and, and, and maybe something that you just need to take with you today. Don't waste the wasteland. Don't waste the wasteland. Some of us can spend our whole time feeling like we're always in the wasteland. We're never going to get out of the wasteland. We play victims. We think that our whole life is defined by that. And, and granted, we want to get out of the wasteland, but don't waste the wasteland. I know we want to run. I know we want to be somewhere else, and I don't wish the wasteland on anybody. Nobody wants to be in that place. Nobody wants to stay in that place. But God can do something in that space. And so before you move on too quick, before you want to run out of there, realize you don't want to waste the wasteland. It's a place where God does some of its, his best work. It's a time and a place where he shapes us. It's where we cry out to God. It's where we seek him. And, and, and what I realized, and maybe you've experienced this in your life, when we're in the wasteland, when we're in the wilderness, do you ever notice that sometimes you've prayed more than ever before in your life in those hard times? And as soon as things start going well and things are on the up and up, then maybe, you know, all right, God, I got it now. I'm good again. <laughs> but when we're desperate, when we're searching, when we're in that wilderness space, that's when we cry out. That's when we seek God, and we don't want to waste the wilderness. Don't leave the wilderness too soon until you've learned what God is trying to teach you. See, the wilderness didn't, for the people of God in this book of Isaiah, when they were in exile, that wasn't a surprise to God. God wasn't like, oh, you ended up in exile. Um, let's see what we need to do. No, that was part of their overall, his overall plan. There was something that God wanted to teach them. It was a hard lesson. It was something that, that he said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to abandon you through this, but there's some things I need you to learn, and you're not going to learn them until you're going through the wilderness. Now we want to avoid the wilderness, but when we find ourselves in it, God can teach us and shape us in that time. Because here in the wilderness, God speaks most clearly. In the wilderness, when all the things are removed, when all the noise, when all the distractions, when we're stripped bare, God speaks most clearly. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I did learn something interesting this week when it came to, I did stay at a Holiday Inn, that's almost what it sounded like right there. Um, I did learn something about the word in Hebrew for desert or wilderness or wasteland, and that word is midbar, midbar. but in, in Hebrew, they don't uh, write out the vowels, and so in Hebrew, the word for desert is just spelled M-D-B-R, but there's also another word in Hebrew that's spelled M-D-B-R, and it's the word metabar, 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 whatever. See, I don't know. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But this is the Hebrew word for speak. And if you take out, again, in that Hebrew word for speak, you take out the vowels as well, and these are identical words in Scripture. I wonder if that's coincidence or if that's intentional in the way the word is shaped, because it's in the desert places that we hear God speak. It's in those places where God wants to speak. It's in those places where we're most open, where we're most vulnerable. In a way, though, that says, God, I've got nothing left to lose. And God comes and speaks. And that's exactly what happened when, when the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. Where he was laid bare, where he was wrestling in his spirit, where he was connecting with his Father, where he was gaining strength, and where he was wrestling with the devil. And what happened after those 40 days was that's when Jesus began his ministry. 
It was out of that wilderness. It was out of that place, out of that hearing, that he was launched in a whole new season of his life and ministry and career. And so many times it's on the heels of wilderness experiences that we experience God in a new way. And that's a hope that we hold on to. God can do some great things when we come out of the wilderness experiences. It's in the wilderness that God does some of his most powerful work. And that's why we don't want to waste the wasteland, waste the wilderness. So I don't know what situation you're in, but what's God trying to teach you? What does he want to do? It's when we become most desperate. It's when we're most willing to receive help. It's in those times where we can often experience the presence and comfort of God in a way that we never thought was possible in our most difficult time. And it's when everything is stripped away in the wilderness that that's when we can become reborn. That's where rebirth can happen. That's why we can come out of the desert. That's why we can come out of those spaces. And sometimes we get a whole new focus on life. We get a whole new way in which we understand God, a whole new appreciation for your family or your marriage or your finances or what God is doing or for your church or whatever it is. It's where we're reborn out of those difficult places. And so God uses that time, and that's a hope that we have. In the dark of the wilderness, hope shines brightest. Right? That's where we can see it. That's where the light begins to shine, even though maybe in the moment we don't see it, we don't feel it. I love the way Desmond Tutu said it. He said, hope is being able to see that there is a light despite all of the darkness. You know, see, there's a light. It's not all just dark around me. I know God is doing something. I know it's possible. God, you're working, you're moving. Maybe just a definition of hope is a favorable expectation of the future. Right? As we think about our future, it's, it's a good thing. It's believing in the best. It's, it's confident that what God is going to do is going to be better than we ever imagined, than we hoped, than we thought about, right? I think there's a scripture very similar to that, right? That we know from Ephesians. But Christian hope, our hope goes even further than just hoping that there's a light, that something else is happening. And this is key here today. Christian hope is not in something, but in someone. And that's Jesus. It's not in something. Because if your hope is in a political party, in an election return result, that hope may be short-lived or may not be hope at all, but it's not going to be a lasting hope. Our hope isn't in something. Our hope isn't, oh, the, the, did anyone win the, the jackpot? I don't even know. Did they announce that? The 1.5 billion? Anyone here? Did they even have the drawing yet? And nobody won it? So uh, see, all, I mean, how many times are people disappointed in playing that letter, right? The hope, the hope, and it's fun to think about what we would do and how we would all support the Renew Initiative, right, uh, if we won. But our hope is not in those things. So now we look back at Isaiah, and you think about what's this theme of hope in Isaiah? Even in the beginning chapters of Isaiah, right, as we're looking at this context of this verse, in, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, remember I talked about, he, Isaiah talked about the smoldering stump, but here's what he said. Out of the stump of David's family, which is the Israelites, the Hebrew people, will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. There may be a burned out stump. Maybe you look at your life, you see some things, but even in this context for the Israelites, there was going to be a new sprout. This wasn't going to be the end. There's going to be a new shoot, a new life, and it will be the Lord will rest on him? Interesting. Their hope was in a new Jerusalem, maybe a new city, a king, a conqueror, a messiah, somebody who will rule in a political realm with military, with armies. That was the hope that would restore them. But even back then, Isaiah was saying, no, 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 it's going to be something different. What is it going to be? And he began to announce a coming 
Messiah, a coming Savior. And so even around Christmas, many times we quote verses from Isaiah about the promised Messiah. But then we, we fast forward and we go into the New Testament and we look at Luke chapter 4. And here Jesus is in a synagogue and he's been asked to read a, a scripture. And he just happens to be reading, I say that in quotes, just happens to be reading Isaiah chapter 61. So he's reading from this very book, Isaiah chapter 61. And here's what he does. He, he, he unrolls the scroll and he starts reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anoint, uh, anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, and the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he's reading Isaiah 61. This was the verse there. And he rolls up the scroll, as it says here, and he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Something about the way that he read that. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Scroll drop right there. <laughs> I mean, this was like long time coming. <laughs> the shoot, the sprout that was coming out of the stump. Jesus is reading from Isaiah what Isaiah had prophesied years and years ago that the hope was going to come. By the, 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 the exiles had since returned and that still wasn't their hope. There was still a greater hope that was coming, and it was found in Jesus. And as he's reading this, saying, I'm the fulfillment of the scripture. I'm the one who's going to bring good news to the poor. I'm the one who's going to help bring sight to the blind and to set the, 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 the captives free. That's me. Our hope isn't in something. Our hope is in someone. And that's really hard to grasp in a very materialistic, focused culture and world where we think it's about what we can attain and what we can grasp when it's about a person when it's about God himself through Jesus Christ that we hold on to him. Away in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I wonder if Jesus was thinking of this verse when he shared with people a couple of things about himself. Like in John chapter 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want a way in the wilderness? What is that way? That way is found in Jesus Christ. The stream in the wasteland, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well says this, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. There's a hope, there's a source, there's a, there's a way out of the wilderness, there's a, a stream in the wasteland. And the way we begin to find that is by holding on to Jesus, by looking to him. Not to the things, not to the stuff, not just what he can do for us, but by holding on to him. And we begin to see, we begin to get hope through our relationship with him. I know sometimes we want something more concrete. And we pray, God, give us a very specific step. And God does give us very specific things that lead us out. But it begins by starting with him. That's where rebirth happens. So, what wasteland are you in? What are you struggling with right now? Where is that wilderness where you're going, God, I don't know if I can see a way out. Maybe it's just an area in your life. Don't waste that wasteland. What is God trying to teach you? Because here's the good news. You can be reborn. <laughs> you can be reborn in that time. That's when we're desperate. That's when we're empty. That's when we're stripped bare. We say, God, do something new in my life. So many times it's when we come to the end of ourselves that we begin to see where God begins. Where we begin to see this is how you can rebuild my life. And when all that stuff is stripped away, God says, all right, here's a fresh beginning. Here's a new start. And that happens to us personally. It happens to us spiritually. 
Hope is trusting God to lead you out of the wilderness. That's the hope we have, God. Lead me out. I'm going to trust you in your timing, in your way, but I trust you, God. You're going to do this. You're going to lead me out because you have the best in mind for us. A verse that's well known is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. There's that word, to give you a hope, to give you a future. It isn't just what it is. God is always doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? He's beginning it. There's a sprout. Maybe there's just something little that you see in your life, but it's a sign that God is beginning to move, and there's hope if you hold on to him. And back to a verse in Isaiah, verse 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's what the hope in Christ does for us. That's what the hope is in him. And, and even as, as Scripture talks about, we don't hope like the world as we, we have an eternal hope. We don't grieve like those that don't have hope. There's a hope in eternal life, but it's not just hope in something after death. It's hope in this life that God brings that renewal, that he bring, begins to renew us, to give us that strength that we can go through whatever he is leading us into. And maybe I, I thought this was important for us to hold on to here as well. If you can't hold on to hope, let hope hold on to you. Because I think sometimes we get to a point where we're just going, I don't know. And maybe you throw up your hands and you just kind of go, I don't know. And it's in that moment. That's in that moment of surrender where God gets a hold of you and maybe says, just hold on. I got you. I'm not going to let you go. And he doesn't just do this in some spiritual way out there. Of course, he can and does work in our heart. But you know one way he does it is through the church. It's through other people. It's through being part of a community that when we go through the wilderness, we don't withdraw from the church. We don't just say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out. That's exactly when we need to lean in. That's exactly where we need to be around others. And as I've been going through our uh, meeting with our, our different life groups over these last several weeks, it's just been so encouraging to see all throughout the week and in different places here in the church and around the community, you guys are gathering in groups, gathering in the power of the circle, sharing with each other, this is what's going on in my life. Pray for me. You know, in our group, we have an email that comes through and our group leaders send out and say, here are the prayer requests from last week. And then somebody else chimes in, pray for me this week. I've got this and that going on. That's the community, lifting each other up, bringing that hope that God has designed for us to be a part of, to be that type of place that supports one another and helps each other through. And so when I think about us as a church, that we live in that hope, that we are a place that, that shares that hope freely to others. The church should be one of the most, if not, it should be the most hopeful place in the world. We should not be the ones that just think, oh, the sky is falling, the demise is here, it's all over, what do we do? Whoa. And sometimes Christians are the most pessimistic, depressed people in the world, and that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. We have hope. I'm invested in this election, and I want to vote, and I want to make my voice heard, but regardless of who the, what the outcome is, I'm not, you know, the, the election returns on Wednesday aren't going to determine whether I'm hopeful or not hopeful. My hope is not in this election. My hope is in Jesus Christ, right? My hope is not in winning the 1.5 or whatever it'll grow to now lottery. That'd be great, or it could be bad. <laughs> We've heard many horror stories of right, what happens right when you have access to that money. So we don't put our hope in those things. 
But we should be sources of hope because of what God does through us. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, and here's the key, the source of hope. Who's the source of hope? God. He's the source of hope. So if we want hope, we have to be connected to the source. And when we're connected to the source, we live in a different sense. We have hope that doesn't come from the things that are coming from outside of us. We have the hope that is within us. And it says this, that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, can we overflow with confident hope this week? Can we overflow in your workplace, with your neighborhoods, at the polling booth, right, in the grocery store, when you're with family, when you're around the Thanksgiving table? Can you just overflow with confident hope? I'm confident that God's got his hand in this. I know things are tough right now. I know I'm dealing with cancer. I know I just lost my job. I know that things are difficult with my son or my daughter, but I have a confident hope because God is the source of hope in my life, and I know he will work, and I know he is doing what he's going to do. I have a confident hope, God, that you are working in our church and that you are leading us into a new day, that you're going to do some great things. I have a confident hope that these seats will be filled, that the 170 names that we have on that tree for the people we're praying for to know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus, that they would come to know hope, and that they would spread that out to their friends and their families. God, we have hope that you are working, that you are moving, that it's not done. You are doing a new thing, and now it springs up. And God, we perceive it. We want to be a part of it. You are making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Yes, Lord, count me in to that. Let us be that hope. If you need hope, hold on to Christ. It's the only hope we have. The one who conquered death, my friends. That even death is not the end. We don't grieve like those who don't have hope. We know there is life, and that same God gives us life when we think about this Renew initiative, how can we be bringing hope by the way that we are invested in this? When we have our hearts renewed on Christ, when we are focusing and understanding this passion for the lost, and when we are just creating a place and a space and an environment that just is fresh and bright and new, and we know in this place God has done some amazing things, and through this place God has sent people all over the world, all through our community to do great things, that's what we are investing in. That's what we are doing when we link arms and say, I want to be a part of it. God, count me in. I want to bring that hope to a world. And I want to bring Jesus to you, to the people. We're going to close with the time of communion. And uh, when we gather around the table of communion, it's a time for us to be reminded of what Jesus did for us. Now, at Meadow Park, we allow anyone to take communion who wants to participate in the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and to remember his sacrifice for us. His broken body on the cross, his death, and his, his blood spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. And maybe today is a day that you might be taking communion, maybe for the first time, and is a moment where you say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to put all of my hope in him, what he has done for me that I receive and accept what Jesus, what you've done on the cross for me, that you took on my sin, my guilt, my shame, and you took it on. And you died on my, in my place on my behalf. And this is a place where you can be reborn, made new, spiritually brought to life. That, that death, that, that wilderness that you might be feeling spiritually, that stump, that smoldering, let a new sprout grow out from that. Let a renewal take place in your life. 
And maybe it's in this moment where you say, Jesus, I, I'm done struggling. I'm done resisting. I'm done fighting. I'm done trying to get out of this wilderness by myself. I'm tired of trying to carve out a path that doesn't lead me out. I can't make it rain. I can't make the streams come in this barren place. God, I need you in my life. That's the renewal. That's the hope. And watch what God does in your life. If you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, this is the reminder that we come to every time we gather at the table. We say, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for what you've done. Before we take communion, I want to go back to Isaiah and read a couple of verses out of Isaiah. Think about this. Hundreds of years before Christ, here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Yet it was our weakness he carried, talking about the Messiah, about Jesus. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And another verse in Isaiah says this, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. This is the hope that we have in Christ, that there is forgiveness, that there is freedom. And so today, let's give thanks for this, for this amazing sacrifice that God made through his son, Jesus Christ, on that cross as we come to the table. So as we take the bread, we give thanks to God. Let's take and eat Christ's body broken for you and me. take the cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on that cross for us. Father, that you made a way where we just didn't have a way, God, where we were stuck in our sin and our shame and our guilt. And Father, you play, you, you, your grace, your forgiveness just forged a new path. We thank you for your amazing love and your grace and your promise. Lord, for those here this morning that, that need hope, that are in a desperate situation, Lord, would you today draw close to them? Would you hold on to them as they reach out to you? Would you begin to make that way in the wilderness? Would you flood their, their wasteland with streams of, of refreshing living water that can come from you? And Father, we hold on to you and we trust in you. And Father, as a church, God, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for the, the countless lives that have been touched over the years and changed and transformed. And God, we look ahead to the future for even greater days. Thank you that our hope rests eternal in you. We give you thanks in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.